Good morning, everyone. Greet you in Jesus' name. This world is a is a real mess, and um, looks like it's getting worse. Full of evil and evil people, and um, yeah, the prayer request for the Middle East. That's uh, just a new a new evidence of Satan at work. <clears throat> but in this world, uh, there are a people, there are people that know God. They have a connection with God, and they, they desire this morning to please God and live for Him and to walk with Him. And uh, they are different. And uh, we want to be those kind of people. Uh, we studied from 1 Corinthians this morning, written by Paul, and somebody, I believe Gary, mentioned Paul as uh, the kind of character he was. He was uh, a zealous uh, Christian. He had a, a fervor, an enthusiasm, a love for the Lord, and he was bold he he loved souls he had a burden for the churches and and he lived his christian life before god in a way uh, he really desired to please god and when he was before felix defending himself against the charges brought by the jews he said this I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I, I take great pains, he said. I go to great effort to keep a clear conscience before God and um, before men. So this relates some to our Sunday school lesson also in uh, in how we live and how we deal with temptation. On an airplane, there are a number of instruments, many instruments in some of them, but they are accurately calibrated that give the pilot information and they show how high the airplane is, they show direction, east, west, north, south, they show whether it is the front is tipped down, whether the wings are tipped toward the left or to the right. And if these instruments aren't accurate, they are, uh, they're not any use. They're dangerous. A few years ago, just two or three years ago, a couple counties south of us where we live in Virginia an inexperienced pilot and his wife uh, took off on a rainy, misty morning, and they were expecting to climb quickly through the clouds and the storm, wind, whatever, and get above the clouds into the sunshine. But it was thicker than he expected, and he got confused and didn't know where he was at, and he didn't know which way was up. He made a call for help. Uh, at that point, he wasn't trusting his instruments anymore. 
and he was just going by his feelings, how it felt to him. And what he didn't realize was that he was flying straight toward the ground. And when he came out of the clouds, all that was in front of him in his windshield was a field. And he tried to pull back, but the airplane just slammed into the field and it killed him and his wife. Him and his wife. So the conscience that Paul referred to is a little bit like, a, like an instrument that's critical for guidance. And it will help guide us uh, to heaven, to God, and to live in a way that is pleasing to God. The conscience is an inbuilt part of our psyche, our mind, our mental makeup. It's an internal standard of right and wrong that's put there by God. Unbelievers think that it's just something that kind of developed over the thousands and thousands and millions of years as people lived together and, and they, these social moors, they call them, develop little rules for getting along with people and so on. And it doesn't have anything to do with God at all. But we know that the conscience is a gift from God. In Romans 2, it says, When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. There is another law besides what was written in the Bible, and that is the conscience. And an innate understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And this shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing themselves. The conscience was part of the creation of man, created in the image of God, and even with the uh, fall and the stain of sin, there is a sense of the qualities and the nature of God in, in man, standards of mercy, of uh, justice, of right and wrong that man is aware of even though he doesn't know God. It's, it's an automatic, uh, it's a, a response that's, it's not just reason or thinking things out, it's, it's just there in our, in our senses. And when it's in proper order, it can give good direction. And it troubles a person when it is violated, when a person chooses to go against that sense of right and wrong. And for that reason, uh, men uh, often don't like it. The conscience is different from conviction, though they are closely related. A Christian conviction is a firm belief being convinced that this is what the Bible teaches, this is how I should live, and it's developed from God's word. It's beyond the conscience. It's, it's what we believe. The conscience is a sense 
that points us to do what we believe is right, uh, to live out our convictions. And it makes us uncomfortable and miserable when we, when we don't. The conscience is not the same as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the conscience. At Pentecost, when Peter preached, after he finished his message in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Their consciences smote them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? It was convicting them, the Spirit convicted them of their need. And Romans 9, 1, Paul is saying that I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that this is what he was convinced of. And his conscience lined up with the Holy Spirit. He had, he had peace about his burden for the Jews. It was an interaction of the Holy Spirit and his conscience. And we already pointed out that everyone has a conscience. Uh, in The Peace Child, uh, the book The Peace Child by Don Richardson, who was a missionary among cannibals in uh, New Guinea years ago, he said something striking in there that uh, the cannibals, young, young cannibals, the first time that they ate another human, there was a certain queasiness, that, an uneasiness, a discomfort that... Um, they had to overcome to actually eat a person. And we can all imagine we would be pretty horrified at the idea of going to someone's place for lunch. But um, so they even had a word for it, that um, this discomfort, it was the conscience in those people. And the conscience can change. It, it's not set at the beginning and then stays there. So think about David's life. Um, in uh, 1 Samuel 24, when he cut off Saul's robe in the cave, you remember that story. His heart smote him, it says, that he felt guilty. His conscience bothered him that he did this cut off a piece of, of uh, Saul's robe. It, was, it felt disrespectful to him, and it, it bothered him. But then you think about David uh, a few years later in that episode with uh, Bathsheba, and where was his conscience then? It wasn't the same sensitive conscience that David had in the cave. It was, it was still there, but it was dull, and uh, he ignored whatever he heard. So the conscience can get out of balance and uh, out of uh, adjustment and need help. And there are two extremes that the conscience can reach, and neither one is accurate. Uh, one extreme is that the conscience 
is seared, to use the, the biblical term, 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Paul wrote about those speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And, and it's describing uh, a cauterization where the nerves are burned and deadened and they're insensitive and they don't feel anymore. And uh, he said that can happen to people. Uh, I knew a girl, well, I knew her parents better, but this child had little feeling, very little feeling in her hands. And they weren't aware of it when she was small at first. And she came against something hot once, so hot that it blistered her skin, and she wasn't even she wasn't even responding to it. She didn't feel pain from it. And when she needed discipline, they would sometimes give her a sharp rap on the wrist, and she could tell that they were disapproving of whatever she did wrong, but it didn't hurt her. She didn't respond in the same way that the other children did. And they discovered that there was something, I don't even know what they called it, but she wasn't sensitive to, she wasn't feeling things as a nerve thing, I guess. Uh, lepers have a similar problem that it, it kills the nerves beginning at the extremities, the fingers and toes and nose and ears and so on. And that often the damage that is done is from uh, hurting themselves and not being aware that they have hurt themselves and they're not taking care of themselves. It doesn't hurt. And so their fingers, the ends come off and whatever. But that's a problem. So uh, when a healthy conscience is violated, there's pain. But if it's seared or deadened, there isn't. And there's no inward pause. Wait a minute. You're not doing right here. And um, so people pursue sin without it bothering them at all. There will be uh, people in hell, I believe, for eternity, who died with an easy conscience. Their conscience was not bothering them. In fact, the psalmist Asaph spoke about evil people whose lives he had watched, and he watched their lives end, and they died. And it's, he said there, there were no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They didn't appear to be bothered. They were ready to die. I read about some celebrity who uh, died, I don't know, a few months ago, and he said that, um, yeah, it, it doesn't scare him at all. He said that, um, I mean, he was a wicked man. It doesn't scare me at all. I, I've heard that heaven isn't all that great anyway. And so he wasn't bothered about dying. So that's one extreme. We certainly don't want to be there. There's another extreme, and that's an overly sensitive conscience. It's bothered by guilt and doubt and lack of assurance. And often the individual suffering from that uh, is unable to 
really put their finger on something that's wrong. But they're asking questions, is God really first in my life that worries them? Do I really love him? Am I as surrendered as I ought to be? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Am I doing enough? And those are all good questions. But uh, sometimes people uh, get really bogged down there and struggle to find peace. Or they may be just overly concerned about about, uh, things that aren't really important. Many years ago, I had a student who uh, was working... Uh, I was helping with something at my desk, and he uh, he had to erase something, and uh, he went back to his seat and uh, with the eraser and forgot to give it back to me, and that began bothering him. And in the middle of the night, he got his dad up. It was bothering him so bad that his dad uh, brought him to our place in the middle of the night so he could apologize for having taken this thing and and not returned it. And I was sound asleep, and I never heard the knock on the door. And eventually the father took his son back home, and I talked to him the next day. But um, yeah, there were some other problems, but um, something kind of that, trivial that really was weighing him down. So often it can be an unbalanced focus on self, one's own flaws and weaknesses, and not enough focus on the blood of Jesus and the cleansing that we can find with Jesus by the covering of his blood. Or it can be just a conscience that is uninstructed or lacking understanding. Um, we were looking at 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 and so on, and Romans chapter 14 also talks about uh, the weak and the strong and people uh, consciences that are not fully informed. And uh, they're not to accommodate sin and so on, the meat offered to idols issue, but... Uh, he gave some instruction there about the conscience. And in 1 John 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So let us not just love in word and say, I'm a servant of God and I want to do his commandments, but let's obey. That's important. And, um, and that is an assurance, that is an encouragement to us. We can live in peace before God if we know that we're doing what God asks us to do. There's peace that comes with that in our conscience. And if we're disturbed, he says, and we're not exactly sure 
what's wrong. God is greater and he knows our hearts. And we can pray to him and appeal to him for truth about ourselves to help us find peace. So I believe that there will be people in heaven who died with some sense of uneasiness. Am I really clear before God? Have I really, have I really um, confessed all my sins? Is everything clear before God? I know I'm dying. Am I really ready? And they die, and the truth dawns, and they experience the joy and peace of heaven. But a note of caution, if a pilot on an airplane, uh, a, a warning light starts flashing, a sensible pilot wouldn't just comfort himself and say, it's probably just a little out of adjustment. I don't need to pay attention to that. That would not be wise. He would rather, he would, he would figure out what's wrong. And the same with our conscience. If, we're, if our conscience is troubled, don't just uh, explain to yourself, rationalize, maybe I'm just, I'm probably just a little confused about this. It's not important, but rather we should put a little prayerful thought into that and, and see if we can discern what is it that's bothering me? Why am I not feeling at peace here? And uh, sometimes, yes, that's, there's something there that I need to take care of that's nagging at me. And if we're, if we're not able to find peace, uh, we can go to our parents or to a pastor or to a godly brother or sister and talk with them about it, pray about it to find uh, peace. So uh, we conclude here that there are three categories of people in relation to the conscience. There are those who know their status. They... Uh, there are guilty people that know they're guilty and they need to confess. They know. Maybe they're postponing it. Maybe they're not dealing with it, but they know they're not at the right place. And there are those who are, are innocent and know they're innocent and they're clear before God and their conscience is healthy and they're following it. That's a good place. These are people that know their status their conscience is signaling that to them. And then there are the guilty who think they're innocent. And that's an awful place to be. And there are the innocent who worry that they're guilty and they need assurance. And God's Spirit can minister to each of those situations. So what this emphasizes is that the conscience needs maintenance, it needs nurture and education, and God has given us this uh, conscience. It's part of a guidance system, but it, we need to take care of it and respect it, and, um, or it can result in extremes and false readings and inaccurate guidance. 
So in our remaining few minutes, I want to think about uh, maintaining our a good conscience. What are some things that help us? And one is the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing that God has given believers, the Holy Spirit. Uh, converting the heart and teaching us. It reveals in our hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we respond to that and find salvation. And you know, in the Old Testament, uh, they offered sacrifices, and they uh, that always reminded them of sin. In Hebrews nine, it talks about that, and how it couldn't cleanse the conscience; it could cover the sin, and. Um, and God accepted that, but it did not fix their hearts. It did not cleanse their conscience. <clears throat> it was unable to do that. But the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, uh, Jesus offered himself without spot to God. And he can cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Jesus can do what no animal offerings can do, and that is part of the joy of salvation, to know the peace of God. And then the Holy Spirit teaches us, the spirit of truth has come, and he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And he tells us how to live. And we follow that, what, uh, what he teaches us. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a very critical piece in, in, uh, in helping keep our conscience healthy and, and in good adjustment. Another piece, and we talked about that this morning also, is the Bible, the Word of God. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, uh, or well, the first part of the chapter, he tells Paul tells Timothy, "Don't don't pay it, don't spend time with foolish wives. Warn the leaders not to be involved with foolish, foolish teachings and old wives' fables, and so on." But the the what he was telling them was, was to stay with true doctrine, stay with the Bible. And part of the purpose of the commandment was this, love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. Uh, to teach and learn what the Bible says and, um, and love God from a, from a heart that is pure and clean and from a clear conscience, a sincere faith where there's no unconfessed sins, clear before God, a clear conscience. So the Bible is a very important part of that, reading the Bible, seeing what God has to say to us about how we should live, how we should respond to things that we face, to temptations, as we saw there in our lesson today. In Hebrews 5... It says that in verse 13, whoever, for everyone who partakes only of milk 
is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's talking about people that are unskilled in the word. They don't really know that much about what the Bible says. And beyond that, they're not maybe living very carefully with what they do learn. So he's saying that what we need to do is study what the Bible says, listen to good messages, and then live it uh, so we can develop skillful in the word and our senses are exercised to discern both good and evil. So they are, when you exercise, you grow stronger. And when we uh, make right choices, it's strengthening to us. And when we do what we believe is right, it strengthens our convictions rather than weakening them. So what we believe and what we think affects our conscience. And that affects how we live and how we act. So when we find a lost billfold that has a big wad of cash in it, uh, what does our conscience signal for us to do? Uh, in school, in grade school, I remember hearing sometimes finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever hear that? Well, that, we didn't learn that from the Bible, did we? Or when we pass a magazine rack, where do we look? What does the Bible tell us? What has the Bible taught us? Or when we're mistreated, someone is unkind to us. How will we respond? Will we go by how our flesh feels? Or do we think about what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? And there are false teachers. And uh, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. I read that a few minutes ago. But people that are teaching falsehood, so the world looks for peace from guilt. Guilt isn't comfortable, and Satan has his solutions. So ungodly psychologists and therapists often try to help people get through their hang-ups and persuade a patient or someone suffering from a guilty conscience that you know, moral values, uh, your, your values are wrong. And if, if it's, um, you shouldn't be bothered by that. Instead of being, uh, feeling guilty for breaking a rule, well, change the rule. That's what the devil would want man to do. Just change the rule or persuade them that there aren't any rules. And just say, that's not a law of God, or that's just your opinion, or that's just an outdated ethical standard, or whatever. And there are people that listen to that. They run to that. Uh, Paul told Timothy, there, there are people with itching ears. They want to go to somebody 
and listen to somebody that will comfort their guilty consciences and like a salve that makes their misery go away. But God's law does not change. And we need to acknowledge and accept that that is the word of God, the word of truth, and the word of authority. And that's what we go by. A third, a third thing uh, that is very helpful is just practicing following our conscience, a conscience that is based on our convictions on what the Bible teaches us. And when we do that, um, I think I referred to this a little bit ago, that it strengthens our conscience, it helps keeps, keep it healthy, and it directs us toward a godly life and godly character. And wrong responses will weaken us, and um, it will soil our character and tends to take us away from godliness and away from life. So that's a very important part. And also Christian fellowship. I want to touch on that yet, just briefly. Um, Beware, brethren, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And chapter 10 of Hebrews says to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Just a brotherhood living, being with people and uh, listening to people who are who really care about serving God and pleasing God. That's such an encouragement. I knew a young man, uh, was in service with a young man uh, years ago who came from kind of a, a rough background, and he, he uh, struggled in his Christian life and didn't live in victory for quite long stretches of time. But he came there to where to this uh, place in northwestern Ontario uh, at a, a school for uh, Indian young people. And one of his jobs was uh, to, to uh, keep the furnaces going at night. We burned wood. And these big furnaces would handle four-foot firewood. And so in the middle of the night, he would check the fires a time or two. And, and one time he came uh, into um, the basement of a building and he was put some wood in the fire and it was burning hot. And he took a piece of wood and stuck it in and just held it there a little bit. And it started to burn on the end. And then he, just for anyhow, pulled it back out. And it hadn't really caught very good, and it went out. He stuck it back in, and it started burning again. And he pulled it back out, and it little coals on the end and sparks and smoke, but it just didn't have enough fire, and it went out. And he did that several times. And... Um, 
he stopped by uh, where I was one day, and he told me, you know, I went home for Christmas vacation for a couple of weeks, and things didn't go so well for me. And I've been kind of bothered about that. And uh, I went to uh, check the fires the other night, and he told me what he did with that log. And he said, you know, I'm just like that log. When I'm with other believers, when I'm with the young people here at the mission, I want to live for God. And I try harder, and I do better. But when I'm on my own, I struggle. And I hope that any of us, I hope that we're all strong enough that we wouldn't just fizzle out that easily. But the point I want us to be impressed with is, and that he was impressed with, is that being with believers is a, is a key piece in encouragement, and God intends for us to be an encouragement to each other and a strength to each other to help us keep burning. So we've talked about the Spirit a little bit, talked about the Word and time with the Word, time with God, that we grow in our relationship with God and loving Him, and how following what we learn, practicing and fellowship with Christians, those things all help to keep our conscience tuned and uh, so that, that uh, it's calibrated right and is a help to us in our Christian life, in guiding us. And so we should always strive, like Paul, we should always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. May the Lord bless us in that.